the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. An appeals court rules that the special master appointed to review Donald Trump documents is improper. I think Trump will appeal to the Supreme Court. The Senate approves a rail strike deal sending the bill to President Biden's desk. This is going to kick the problem down the road. It'll avert a disaster right now, but it will come back down the road. FTX former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried apologizes, saying he never meant to commit fraud. There's evidence perhaps that he stole and still has tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Friday, December 2nd. I'm Mike Scott. On Thursday, a federal appeals court ruled that a third-party review of documents seized from former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate must be halted. The court's determination removes a roadblock for the Justice Department's investigation into the mishandling of government documents. And they said in tonight's opinion, the former president does not get special treatment. Quote, we are faced with a choice. Apply our usual test, drastically expand the availability of equitable jurisdiction for every subject of a search warrant, or carve out an unprecedented exception in our law for former presidents. We choose the first option, so the case must be dismissed. They went on to say, quote, the law is clear. We cannot write a rule that allows any subject of a search warrant to block government investigations after the execution of the warrant, nor can we write a rule that allows only former presidents to do so. Either approach would be a radical reordering of our case law limiting the federal court's involvement in criminal investigations. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals reversed U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon's order appointing a special master by stating that Judge Cannon should not have intervened. A former White House counsel for President Trump says that she was unsurprised by the ruling. So I'm not surprised by it because of the, and you mentioned it, the earlier 11th Circuit ruling that already said hey, we're not sure. We don't think that the district court had jurisdiction to hear the case here. And then the Supreme Court unanimously decided not to take the case. So you've got a conservative Supreme Court and a conservative 11th Circuit already basically signaling that they were going to make this uh, decision. And and you're right that it it does matter that this is not a bunch of liberal judges and, and sort of throwing that their decision into question about whether it's political or not. Um, That said, you know, myself being a conservative, I do believe that there are plenty of conservative judges who do rule on the rule of law and not the rule of their preference. Jessica Levinson says it is her opinion that Donald Trump isn't without options. However, his legal path is getting narrower. I should say there's one more step here where I think Trump will appeal to the Supreme Court, but we've already seen based on one of their recent rulings that I think they have no particular appetite for that. The Justice Department effort is now being led by special counsel Jack Smith, who was appointed last week to try and helm 
that probe. After seemingly doubling down on strict zero-tolerance COVID policy, a rare display of backtracking occurred on Thursday as reports surfaced that the Chinese Communist Party is looking to roll back some of its more extreme lockdown policies. Zhou Fenxiao, a former student leader during the Tiananmen Square protest, says that we are seeing some loosening of the zero-COVID policy, a rare display of weakness for Xi Jinping. Helen Ann Smith of Sky News explains some of the changes. Just last week, the taking down of barriers here would have been unthinkable. The Guangzhou district of Haiju, the site of a mass outbreak and lockdown, blocks now removed, those testing negative released. In Beijing, too, signals of a move away from mass testing and some asymptomatic cases are now being allowed to quarantine at home. The start, maybe, of a seismic shift. Policy change prompted by people. It's unlikely just the protests that have brought this about. It's also their traction online. An army of censors will have been fighting to remove videos like this. But Chinese people have seen them and shared them. Smith goes on to say that China's censorship isn't working because people are finding ways around it. For all the might of the censors machine, people are finding ways to outsmart the algorithm, posting videos of videos and distortions like this to clips of key sites. Even the word Shanghai has been largely removed, but that doesn't fix the underlying grievance. The authorities may well realise that purely censoring what happened here may not be enough this time. The strength of feeling is just too widespread. This is a regime that values stability above all else. There's a sense, perhaps, that a strong commitment to zero COVID is no longer the best way to maintain it. A mass outbreak of COVID could still cause chaos here. Community immunity is low and the hospital system still under-resourced. Any change is highly unlikely to be swift or sweeping, but it may, just may, be the start. Over the past week, protests have spread across many cities in China as residents pushed back against hardline COVID lockdown policies. While the Communist Party has promised to crack down on demonstrations, the government is apparently pivoting some strategies by shortening quarantines and making other changes. However, it does say it will stick to restrictions that have repeatedly shut down schools and businesses and suspended access to some neighborhoods. On Thursday, the Senate quickly passed a bill to bind rail companies and workers to a proposed settlement in order to avert a strike that some economists warn could devastate parts of the country. The proposed settlement that was passed was the same settlement that was negotiated in part by the Biden administration back in September, the same settlement that had been rejected by some of the 12 rail unions. The unions rejecting that deal meant that there was a possibility that railroad workers could have gone on strike as early as December 9th. The measure to avert the strike cleared the Senate with a vote of 80 to 15. It came one day after the House voted to impose the agreement. The measure now goes to President Joe Biden's desk for his 
signature. However, the passage of the bill doesn't come without critics. Some say that the contract doesn't have sufficient paid leave for rail workers, which was the main sticking point between rail companies and rail workers. But the president argued that if the contract isn't imposed, a strike could cause 750,000 job losses and trigger a deeper recession, which is something the president believes the country cannot afford. This could immediately cause 750,000 jobs and cause a recession. And so what I've made it really clear is that what was negotiated was so much better than anything they ever had. Biden says that while the deal doesn't have paid leave, he's working on paid leave for all Americans. I negotiated a contract no one else could negotiate. The only thing that was left out was whether or not it was paid leave. You know I've been trying to get paid leave, not just for rail workers, for everybody. But that other team, they're called the Republicans, they voted against it. They said we couldn't do it. We're one of the few nations in the world that don't have paid leave for our workers. Andrew Donaldson is managing editor at Ordinary Times Magazine and host of the Heard Tell podcast and a contributor to Young Voices. He joins us on the Daybreak Insider podcast to give us the latest news on the railroad negotiations. Congress has now gotten involved, so the House of Representatives has passed two different bills. One is exactly in line with the September agreement that was brokered between the Biden administration, the rail companies, and the union heads. Uh, But that is also the uh, agreement that the labor unions, some of them have rejected. So dog ear that one for just a second. The House also passed a second bill that is the same bill, except it adds in the sick days. Now, that is what the rail workers are objecting to, the ones that will not ratify this agreement. So both of those pass on party line votes. Of course, the Democrats still have the majority right now in the lame duck session. It now goes to the Senate, and that's where this gets really interesting of which one of these two bills are going to go forward. Donaldson says forcing this deal without paid sick leave isn't solving the issue. It's really only kicking the can down the road. Well, the number one issue for the workers themselves, especially the unions that have rejected the deal, is sick time. They're very well paid. Uh, Railroad workers are in the top 10 percent of all industrial workers, so they're well paid, but they get no sick time. These are very long hour jobs. A lot of these jobs involve travel. A lot of them are very hard, labor intensive jobs, and they don't have sick time. And this this happened in the sequence right after COVID brought all this to head. These negotiations have been going on three years, and during COVID, this lack of sick time really hit them because these rail companies have very strict attendant policies. They get strikes against them for missing days of work because it's PTO time, and PTO time, of course, works at the discretion of the companies, whereas dedicated sick time, the company can't fiddle with that. So this is why this is such a major issue and one that the rail workers are not going to bend on. And if they are forced to take this deal through Congress and still don't have these sick days, This is going to come down the road again, and it's probably going to be even a little more contentious the next time they try to negotiate this. Donaldson tells the Daybreak Insider that Congress decided to intervene because if rail workers went on strike before the holidays, it could have devastated parts of the economy. Well, the workers, if they're forced to take the deal that they don't want, that they voted down, they're going to obviously feel very aggrieved and they're going to have a great point. What's happening politically, though, is a rail strike right now, right before Christmas, would be very, very tough on the economy. Some estimates put it as high as $2 billion a day. 
Uh, of course, uh, you don't want to have economic upheaval right before Christmas. You can imagine the human interest stories that comes out. It's a very bad political look. It's very bad for the economy. So the White House and Congress are making the decision of, yes, we do not need to have a rail strike for the good of the wider country. But underneath that, just again, remember in dog ear, these workers, if they have to take a deal that they already rejected, they're going to feel even more aggrieved. This is going to kick the problem down the road. It'll avert a disaster right now, but it will come back down the road again, and we're going to deal with this again, and it'll probably be even harder to deal with next time. When asked if Joe Biden, who describes himself as a pro-union president, would take a hit politically from this, Donaldson says that the White House made a calculation based on simple math. Right. Well, he made a political calculation that's basically a math problem here. The amount of union workers involved here are a lot less than the 40 percent of all the freight in the country that moves by rail that expands out to port rail, truck rail, Everything that happens in the economy when it comes to transportation and logistics is interlinked. And if the rail portion of that shuts down, a vast majority of the economy is going to get affected. Way more people are going to get hurt by an economic shutdown than the aggrieved railroad workers. That's the calculus they're working off of. Remember, we're now into the presidential election cycle. President Biden's going to be running for reelection. That's the calculus. So even though he released that amazing statement where he said, I'm very pro-labor, but the but is there's a whole lot less union railroad workers than there are people in the economy that would be hurt by a shutdown. That's the calculus. That's the political decision. That's why they're out in the cold right now. Looking forward, Donaldson says that Americans should keep an eye out for another possible rail strike in the near future. The Senate's going to act on one of these two bills. Watch which one they pass. If they, on some outside chance, they pass the one that has the sick days in it, that could diffuse this quite a bit and probably cool this whole thing off for the long term. If they pass the straight package from September without the sick days in it, uh, it will avert a disaster for right now. And in the short term, everybody will probably forget about this story. But if they do that, everybody should just bookmark it, save it in the back of your mind, put it in your browser somewhere. Somewhere down the line, this is going to happen again, and these same workers are going to have this same grievance again. And we may have another economic crisis further down the road, and they're going to be even more dug in on this topic, and they're going to feel very righteous in doing so. The Daybreak Insider thanks Andrew Donaldson for joining us. If you would like to hear more from Andrew, follow him on Twitter at 4 for the fire Listen to his podcast at redcircle.com slash shows slash heard tell. Or check out his writing at ordinary-times.com. A federal appeals court rejects a Biden administration request to revive the student loan forgiveness plan. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has more on this developing story. The Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans declined to pause an earlier ruling by a Texas judge. The Biden administration wanted the ruling put on hold during the appeals process, but the federal three-judge panel said no. But they did call for the appeal to be heard on an expedited basis. Tasha Stevens reporting. The cryptocurrency FTX, former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, has gone on a bit of an apology tour over the past week, despite the advice of his lawyers who were urging him to stay quiet about the collapsed cryptocurrency. This comes as FTX's bankruptcy continues to unfold and calls from lawmakers for Bankman-Fried to be charged criminally grows. He was at the top of the cryptocurrency world. 
30-year-old billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried. I can't imagine what it feels like to go from $20 billion to $100,000. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been a really, it's been a really humbling fall in, in a lot of ways. In his interview with the New York Times, Bankman-Fried said in part, quote, Clearly, I made a lot of mistakes. There are things I would give anything to be able to do over again. I didn't ever try to commit fraud on anyone, end quote. However, Leland Vittert of News Nation is more concerned with the fact that the media seems to avoid asking the former FTX CEO any hard questions. There's evidence perhaps that he stole and still has tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Not one anchor had the guts to ask the single most obvious question. Why aren't you in prison yet? Why am I interviewing you in an undisclosed location? Nobody asked, why do you seem so nervous? Why can't you look at me or at the camera or at the people whose money you lost? Colby Hall, co-founder of Mediate, says that in his opinion, some media outlets are treating the former FTX CEO as kind of a celebrity. Here's a guy that, you know, really kind of, for lack of a better term, ran a Ponzi scheme, and he conned a lot of people off on confidence. He then sort of, you know, lost tons of money to a lot of people. And, you know, the idea of journalism, of speaking truth to power, is you ask these tough questions. And I, I, so many of these people treated him like a celebrity. It's like, they, oh, I saw you on the cover of a magazine, so I'm going to fawn over you rather than ask really, really tough questions. Hall says that he believes the reason Bankman-Fried isn't in jail is because crypto is unregulated. Everyone's had their hand in the till. A lot of media outlets were funded by and received money as, as, as well as politicians. But, I, you know, I will say, I think the issue is that crypto is a really complicated story. And it, it gets to the very root of, like, kind of our, our free market, you know, sort of value-based economy. We all agreed that we all decided that we were all going to agree that this had value. And, you know, that comes from a certain amount of confidence from the CEO. And once we realized that the CEO of this exchange, FTX, was sort of a, a nutter and perhaps like a criminal or a threat, all of that confidence and value went away. And, you know, it's, it's but it's, is you know, there was, are there regulations that he broke? One of the great things about Crypto is that it's sort of deregulated. FTX owes its top 50 creditors over $3.1 billion, according to a bankruptcy court filing. At a bankruptcy hearing last week, FTX lawyer James Bromley said that a substantial amount of assets have either been stolen or are missing. Conservative senators are calling on Republican leader Mitch McConnell not to back an omnibus spending bill. Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew is on Capitol Hill with more on this story. In a letter, conservatives urge McConnell to snub a year-end omnibus spending package and insist instead on a stopgap spending bill that delays talks on a larger bill until next year, when Republicans will be in control of the House. The letter says it would be poor leadership to, quote, rubber stamp an omnibus spending bill that funds 10 more months of President Biden's agenda without any check on his reckless policies that have led to a 40-year high in inflation. Signatories include fiscal conservatives Rick Scott of Florida, Mike Lee of Utah, and Ted Cruz of Texas. Bob Hagen reporting. Four little lion cubs that were orphaned during the war in Ukraine 
are now safe. Daybreak Insider's Jason Walker has their furry tale. The Cubs have arrived at a Minnesota animal sanctuary that has pledged to provide them a permanent home. A male cub and three females, who are all between four and five months of age, spent the last three weeks at a zoo in Poland. International Fund for Animal Welfare says they were born at Ukrainian breeding facilities during the war and then orphaned at a few weeks old. Their arrival this week has marked the final step in a journey after they survived sporadic bombings and missile attacks. Jason Walker reporting. And finally. The music industry is mourning the loss of a giant. Fleetwood Mac's Christine McVie, who passed away Wednesday following a brief illness. The singer-songwriter was behind some of the band's biggest hits. Good Morning America's Chris Connolly remembers the Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. A pillar of Fleetwood Mac and a popular music paragon, Christine McVie was a brilliant, pioneering songwriter and singer of so many soft rock hits. Say You Love Me on the band's 1975 LP and 1977's You Make Loving Fun. Behind the keyboard, solo or in harmony with Stevie Nicks. McVie sang her lyrics of desire, yearning for connection and vulnerability with the warm, earthy voice of a strong, uncompromised woman. Connolly reports on the outpouring of tributes for the singer-songwriter. From President Bill Clinton, Don't Stop was my 92 campaign theme song. It perfectly captured the mood of a nation eager for better days. I'm grateful to Christine and Fleetwood Mac for entrusting us with such a meaningful song. I will miss her. In a handwritten note, a heartbroken Stevie Nicks called her my best friend in the whole world since the first day of 1975. See you on the other side, my love. Always, Stevie. And the songbirds are singing like they know this go No one could absolutely tear your heart out with just a piano and her voice like Christine McVie. Like never before. So many wonderful songs. So many musicians citing Christine McVie's influence. So many fans drawn to her melodies and lyrics. Touched by her knowing voice and her romantic soul. McVie's family released a statement reading in part, On behalf of Christine McVie's family, it is with heavy hearts we are informing you of Christine's death. She passed away peacefully at hospital this morning, Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. Following a short illness, she was in the company of her family. The band Fleetwood Mac paid tribute to McVie in a statement which read, there are no words to describe sadness at the passing of Christine McVie. She was truly one of a kind, special, talented beyond measure. She was the best musician anyone could have had in their band and the best friend anyone could have in their life. Christine McVie was 79.
Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.